This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10 hits a hard passage of Scripture. Uh, we got to this uh, passage of Scripture. It would have landed on Christmas Day. Uh, December 25th this year was on a Sunday, and this was the message. We just where we fell in the Bible. And I was going to preach this message talking about the sinfulness of man. There's none righteous, no, not one. Your mouths are an open sepulcher. Your tongue is full of lies. And the title of the message was, You're All Naughty. And my wife told me that probably wasn't a good idea, so we didn't. We skipped out on Christmas, and... <laughs> I think I preached on the gift of Jesus Christ, you know, immeasurable joy, unspeakable grace, and something encouraging. And so, but we're back here today because we can't skip this, right? We can't, uh, we can't skip the corruptness of man's character, which is what we're taking a look at today. Uh, because we preach through the Bible verse by verse, there's uh, some uncomfortable passages from time to time. This would probably be one of them because it takes a look in the depths of our heart. And it doesn't find anything good. And so we're going to take a look at that uh, here today. Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in verse number 1 and read through verse number 18 this morning. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throats an open sepulcher, where the tongues they have used deceit, the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I was thankful to have two Christian parents that, that raised me and my brother the best that they knew how. They were kind of, uh, kind of winging it, I guess, if you will. They didn't really know a lot about walking with Jesus or having a Christian home. Uh, they didn't grow up in a Christian home, but they, they did their best with me and my brother, and I'm thankful for that. Both of my grandfathers on both sides uh, of my, my parents' family are uh, alcoholics, uh, were, were alcoholics, um, awful, abusive men. Um, and so my parents grew up in kind of a rough home. My grandfather on my mother's side was, was man, a reprehensible human being in every way you can imagine. Uh, abusive, angry, ugly. Uh, I never saw in my entire life that he wasn't intoxicated, drank all the time. Uh, and it was just a really, really bad environment. I remember going over there as a kid, and uh, he would be cursing and putting people down and calling people names. And I always thought to myself, like, why do we purposely subject ourselves to this? We go over and sit for sometimes two and three hours at a time, and it was just, as a kid, it was just super uncomfortable. Uh, many of the times when we leave, there would be a lot of tears that were shed over things that got shed or hurtful things that uh, happened. I remember a Thanksgiving one time when uh, he had made a statement about somebody, and they got mad and got in a fight, and they ended up leaving, and we're sitting there with food on the table at Thanksgiving. Somebody just stormed out and slammed the door, and it was, it was just awful. And so I joined the Navy out of high school and, uh, you know, moved on with life and, and moved out of my hometown and never really had any communication with him because I didn't really have much of a relationship to begin with. Uh, my wife and I got married and began walking with Jesus and, and began to try to, to figure out what it meant to, to know Jesus and walk with him. And then we were confronted with this fact that the gospel can change anyone. And I began to think about who are the people in my life that I know that need to know Jesus. And man, immediately in my head popped my, my grandfather. The problem is I've never kn known of my grandfather to ever be sober for anything. 
And so I'm trying to have a conversation about eternal things, just that I didn't know. And so I began to pray for him, pray for his salvation and uh, things along those lines. And we'd gone uh, back to visit family in, in Kentucky there one Christmas, and uh, he had fallen on the, the ice and had broken his hip and was in a long-term care facility and uh, because he was in the hospital basically and in, in, under health care supervision 24 hours a day, didn't have the opportunity to drink. And so no lie, first time in my entire life I've ever seen my grandfather sober. And so I thought, this is my opportunity. So I asked my mom, hey, can I go visit? And she's like, sure. And so we went and visited. And uh, we were there. We were talking chit-chat for a while. And I asked everybody to leave the room. And I said, Pap, I've got something I really want to share with you that's the most important thing that you'll ever hear in your entire life. And he said, okay. And I just began to share with him Jesus. And I said, you know, you've lived a pretty rough life, but Jesus wants to forgive you of all the wrong that you've ever done. That while you and I have sinned against God, and because we sinned against God, we deserve to go to hell God wants to give you an opportunity to make everything right with him right now. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven, and I'm asking him to forgive me of my sins. And I said, Pap, if you would believe that and ask God to forgive you today, you could be saved, and everything wrong you've ever done in your entire life would be wiped away like it never even happened. And he sat there and heard me out the whole time. I get to the end, I said, Pap, would you like today to put your faith in Jesus and be saved? And he sat there for a minute, and he goes, so you're telling me that Jesus died? And I go, yes. And he goes, huh, that's funny. I didn't even know he was sick. <laughs> I was like, that's not funny. This isn't a joke. And he said, you know what? I don't know who you are to sit across from me and tell me that I've done anything wrong. I don't need God's forgiveness. I don't need your forgiveness. I've never done a wrong thing in my entire life. And I said, really? Really? And he goes, yeah. And I don't know who you are thinking, thinking that you're better than me. You must be holier than, than thou. You must be so much better than me to come in here and tell me that I need forgiveness? No. He said, are you done? I said, I'm totally done. He said, all right, you need to leave. Okay, I'm done. Never spoke to him again. Never got saved. Died. And I can say based on the assurance of the Bible, He's spending eternity in hell, separated from God, paying for his sin now and for all of eternity. That, that's a hurtful story for me to tell because there's people that I know and love and prayed for and have told about Jesus. They're in hell today. But that's the depths of our sinful condition. Here's the thing. When we share Jesus with people, when we're confronted with biblical truth, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, have I sinned? And I think anybody with, with any type of self-awareness would go, well, yeah, of course we have. Everybody has. You'd be shocked by the number of people, though, that don't believe that they've ever done anything wrong. I was talking to a friend this past week, and he shared the gospel uh, with a, a friend. Uh, they were out playing tennis. He had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And the guy's like, yeah, like, I don't know that I've ever sinned. And he's like, well, surely you've told a lie before. And he goes, I've never told a lie in my life. And I thought... <laughs> You just told a lie. <laughs> that was a lie. Like, what on earth? But to think of the, the audacity of someone who could say, like, hey, I don't think I have ever sinned. Uh, the Bible wholeheartedly disagrees with you. John, uh, 1 John chapter, um, eight, uh, chapter 1, verse number 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, here's a great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
So anybody who claims that they have never sinned before, the only other option that they have is to call God a liar. We know that that's not the case at all. We've all sinned. We know that. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so then the follow-on question to that, again, when we share truth and share Jesus with people, and as someone can even read the Bible for themselves, the question is, what is the penalty of my sin? And we know that the wages of sin is death, and so then the question is, am I really going to go to hell because of my sin? Like, have I done bad things? Yes. Have I done bad things that deserve me to burn in hell for eternity? I don't think I'm that bad of a person. Well, that's where things get a little bit difficult because it's not a matter of how bad you've been or how good you've been. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because we've sinned against God, we're going to die. Look, when, when you receive a parking ticket, when one receives a parking ticket, because I would never receive a parking ticket, when one receives a parking ticket, they don't ask you, how long have you been parked here with an expired meter? They just see it's expired, they start writing a ticket. Whoa, 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 whoa. It just ran out like two minutes ago. doesn't matter. It's expired. You're done. And so if we've broken the law, it doesn't matter if we've uh, uh, broken a little bit of the law or a lot of the law, we are guilty of the consequences. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only are we going to die physically, there's coming a spiritual death. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever, get this, was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. The question is not, do we deserve to go to hell? We do. I do, you do, we've broken God's law, it's done. The question is, when we get to heaven and stand before a holy God, it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment, what will be God's judgment on us? And you can know that ahead of time. It's not a matter of like, oh, I hope I, hope I get in. No, because it says here very clear, clearly, those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. You go to hell because your name's not in the book of life. Well, how do I get my name in the book of life? Jesus is the only way for that. So again, you can't be a good person and get your name in the book. You can't do a lot of good stuff and get your name in the book. You can't attend church a whole lot and get your name in the book. The only way that you can do that is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And so again, is my sin really so bad that I would go to hell? The answer to that is yes. Now again, we like to put things on a sliding scale, don't we? Well, you know, my sin, okay, yeah, I've done some things that I'm not proud of, but so is everybody else, and my stuff is not as bad as this other guy's stuff, and I definitely don't reach the level of like a rapist or a murderer or someone awful uh, like that or all the terrible villains of history. I'm not that bad. That's the crazy part about righteousness is all it takes is one offense. The book of James says you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it doesn't matter if you've ever told a white lie or if you've mass murdered people. You're in the same boat as far as guilty before God. We're all guilty. And so because of that, we stand uh, in danger of the consequences of our sin, which is hell. Now, would God really turn us away because of our sin? If God's loving, if he's gracious, if he's merciful, if God's a God of love like you says he is, then is he really going to turn me away when I've just tried to do my best? And the answer to that is also yes, because your best isn't good enough. God's standard is perfection. And if you don't hit that, you fall short. That's why the Bible says all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
you're not on God's level and none of us would agree that we are. So because of that, we fall short. Now, again, that's the, the awesome thing about falling short is that it doesn't matter if you fall five feet short or five billion miles short, you're still short. And you're going to be responsible for paying for your sin. Now, could God save you? Absolutely. Isaiah 59, I love this verse. It's in your notes if you have those. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sin has separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. What's keeping you from a right relationship with God? Your sin, always. What's keeping you from being able to just slide under the the bar into heaven? Your sin, always. It has to be dealt with. God can hear your prayer at any moment that he chooses to, but your sin has separated you from God. God can save you any moment that he chooses to, but your sin has separated you from God. And so you have to make that right. Well, how do I make it right? Jesus says in John 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You need to be saved. Has there been a time in your life where you've been saved? Do you know for sure that you've been born again? It's not a matter of a religious experience or this weird feeling or seeing lights from heaven or this burning in your chest or I got goosebumps when I heard Amazing Grace one time. It's not a matter of being baptized or doing some other type of religious act. It's not about church attendance. Being born again is very simple. It comes down to this. Do you believe and have you received? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He's the only way to heaven. I believe that He died for my sins. My faith is completely in Him, and I'm asking Him to save me and forgive me of my sins. That's it. Has there been a time like that for you where you have confessed your sin and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If not, you stand in danger of God's judgment. If not, you're going to stand before God on your own merit, and God is going to tell you, you didn't do enough, you're gone. You might say, well, I go to church a lot. I do a lot of really good stuff. Jesus said, in that day, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And I'll say unto them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You did really a lot of religious stuff, but you didn't do the most important thing, which was put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. We cannot run from the fact that we are sinners corrupt to the core. (laughs) Man, we spent, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks in Romans chapter one talking about the depravity of mankind and the fallenness of man. If you get your Bible open to Romans, turn back to Romans chapter one, if you would, just for a really quick review. Romans chapter 1, verse number 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God's revealed himself in all men. Nobody can say that they didn't know that there was a God. But verse 21 says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And so when we look at this, so many times we want to categorize our sin as a couple of bad habits that I have or some, uh, some, some churches don't even like to use the word sin, which is a shame because it's a Bible word. They use words like shortcomings or 
failures or, and things like that that makes you sound like it's not so bad. You know, all of your shortcomings Jesus came to die for. Jesus didn't come to die for your shortcomings. He came to die for your sin, your offense before a holy God, your rebellion against God's word. That's why he came to die. He didn't come to die because, uh, you know, you have a couple of bad habits. And so, so many times we overestimate our own righteousness and we underestimate the depths of our own sinfulness. And so Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 have come to put you in your place and let you know who you really are without Jesus. And so when we look at this passage, we see our entire person is corrupted with sin, our heart, our mind, our words, our actions. There's no part of us that is untouched by sin. The Bible identifies man as a three-part being. We have a physical body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. So body, soul, spirit. Three parts. If you want to break those down, you can put it like this. Physical, emotional, spiritual. Now, let me explain that to you. We have our physical body, which is the physical representation and manifestation of who we are. Uh, it's the part that you present to other people. Uh, it's the, your, your flesh and bones, the you. Then you have, that's your physical part. Then you have your emotional part, which is your soul. This is your emotion. This is your personality. This is your life experience. This is what makes you, you, your soul. It's your mind. It's your, it's your thoughts. It's the thing that drives your actions, your, come from the depths of your soul. Then you have a spirit. This is the part that has access to your creator. This is the part that has a link to God himself. And here's the crazy part about your spirit. You're born spiritually dead, disconnected. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Because of our sin, we're born spiritually dead. No access to God the Father. Now, again, it's important to to define terms. When we use the term dead, we don't mean without life. We mean a separation. When we die physically, our soul separates from our body, and our body's left behind. There's a separation. We call that death. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, we were separated from God the Father, having no access to Him because our spirit is dead. And so when we talk about this in our spirit being dead, then that means that before we met Jesus, we were basically only two-thirds the person that God created us to be. If you're here today without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're only a fraction of what what God truly intends you to be. Because Ephesians also tells us that we are made alive together in Jesus Christ. Our spirit was made alive the day you confessed your sin because you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Your sin was cleansed, paid for, consequences over and done, paid in full, and you were made alive in Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And now you have access to the Father that you never had before because now you have access to the Son. And so now you're a complete being. But here's the problem. Sin's corrupted every portion of your being. This physical body is breaking down day day by day. You are currently in the process of dying and decaying one day at a time. Now, we like to think like, well, I can reverse the process. I'm going to take really good care of myself, and I'm going to, you know, spend a lot of money on face cream and stuff like that. You're still dying. (laughs) 
make no mistake about it. I read a uh, news headline the other day about a guy who spends $2 million a year. Uh, he's, I think he's like in his 30s or 40s. He's a billionaire. Spends $2 million a year to keep the body of an 18-year-old. And I thought to myself, bro, it's going to die. <laughs> Try your best. You're going to die at some point. Because his physical body is corrupted already with sin. We weren't supposed to die. In the Garden of Eden, nobody was ever supposed to die. But when we rebelled against God and we sinned against God, God says, okay, now I'm going to put a, a cap on this. You're going to die because of your sin and a whole host of other curses that God put on mankind as well. So our physical body's corrupt. It's dying day by day. We try, can try to keep it alive, but it's going to die. Our emotional part of us is corrupted with sin. When we think of the thoughts that we think, the emotions that we feel, the actions that we perform, the majority of them are either in self-preservation or self-gratification in our flesh. It's all about me. I don't really care what's going on with you. And again, uh, people can try to manipulate our emotions. You know, you can watch a late-night television show, and they show a commercial of kids in Africa, and for, you know, $2 a day, you can help a kid in Africa, and you might send a few bucks to over to Africa to absolve your conscience of it, but you don't really care about those kids in Africa, because if you did, you know that $2 a day doesn't mean nothing over there. So you are, are typically, and I, I'm not going to put just to put it on you, we're typically self-focused. We're self uh, in, we're we're self-focused uh, individuals in the fact that we are only looking out for number one because our emotions, our soul are corrupt. Our spirit's corrupt in the fact that it's born dead and we have access to God once we put our faith in Christ, but then our connection to God wavers from time to time because our sinful nature is corrupt, the whole thing. And so when we talk about the corruption of our total being, we sometimes refer to this as the total depravity of mankind. There's no part of you and I that is untouched by sin. Why is there such a high divorce rate in America as opposed to like other countries in the world? Because of sin. Why do we see the divorce rate in America has begun to decline over the last 10 years? Why? Because people are staying longer, married longer? No, because they're not getting married anymore. They're just living together, cohabitating, and bouncing whenever another opportunity arises. Why is that? It's a result of sin. Why do we have violent crime in America? It's a result of sin. Why do we have drug problems in America? Result of sin. Why do we have all the trash that goes on in our world today? Sin, it's corrupted everything that it touches. And so, again, Romans chapter 1 outlines that what happens when we leave God and turn to idolatry. Romans chapter 3, uh, God wants to make it really clear who you are without Him. Now, when we talk about total depravity, we're talking about the fact that our sin nature has touched every part of us as beings. Total depravity does not mean that every single person is as corrupt and wicked as they could possibly be. That's not what total depravity means. It means that every part of our life, our body, soul, spirit, every part of our being has been touched by sin. When we take a look at the uh, definition of total depravity from the Lexham Glossary of Theology, it says that the view of sinfulness is inherent to human nature and that all people are inclined to sin. With total depravity, sin has a complete hold on human behavior so that none is able to earn salvation by their good behavior. So all of us are corrupt. We can't save ourselves if we wanted to. Now, I want to caution you because this is a one definition of total depravity. There's other definitions of total depravity out there that basically say you can't choose to put your faith in Christ. Christ has to choose you first. 
We don't find that in Scripture uh, anywhere. And again, some people have used Scripture out of context in, in, in ways that it wasn't meant to be used to come up with this idea. And again, if you want to go down the rabbit hole and have a conversation, we can have it later. Please don't go on YouTube and try to, to discover this for yourself. You'll just get confused and probably sidetracked. The idea of predestination, election, and Calvinism. This is not a message on that today, but this, use, this term total depravity has been hijacked to mean something that it doesn't mean. Total depravity means that we are completely touched as a being by sin in every area of our lives. It doesn't mean that we don't have access to call out to God in faith if we choose to, because the Bible says, whosoever will may come. Next, we see in this passage that mankind is universally wicked. You can take a look at Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And it says, as it is written, because in Psalm 14, the psalmist already tells us this. Psalm 14, verses 1 and 2 is in your notes there this morning. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And so again, we see that mankind is universally wicked. Regardless of what society you go to in the world today, or at any time period throughout human history, where you go, you will find that mankind was sinful there. Again, we can look at our society today and go, oh man, it's getting so bad. If, 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 you know, if people say things like, oh, if America doesn't repent, God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's dumb. God doesn't apologize to anybody. Uh, secondly, um, here's the thing. There have been worse times in human history. This is just the worst time in American history. Take a look at what Romans did to, to children and women and the way that they treated people as property and sex objects. It was disgusting. Now, we're headed there uh, with, with on hyperdrive for sure as Americans, but it's not as bad as it has been. But you go through any period of human history, you're going to find sinners were there because there's never been a time in human history where man was not sinful after the Garden of Eden. And so while man might perform some commendable actions, only Jesus held the standard of God's righteousness. So again, we're not saying that, that mankind apart from God cannot do good, do good things for sure. Some of you might know somebody who's not a Christian, but they're a good guy or a good gal. They're not Christians, they're not believers, but she's super sweet. She watches everybody's kids in the neighborhood, and uh, she has, you know, people over to her house, and she baked us a plate of cookies one time, and she, you know, helped us out and made meals for us when we were in the hospital. Hey, people can do good things and apart from God. But when it comes to God's standard of righteousness, which is perfection, all of us fall short of that. And again, God's standard of righteousness is perfection, that you would never sin, never break his law. But we think of goodness as somebody who will watch your kids and bakes cookies. That's way short of God's standard that he sets. And so again, we can say that oh, he's a good guy and they do good things. That's fine. But no one has the capability to hold to God's standard of righteousness because there's none righteous, no, not one we're born into unrighteousness, and only Jesus can make us righteous. Again, we are born into a corrupt, sinful nature. But I'm thankful that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21 says that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look, I'm not righteous at all. But Jesus took my sin he took it to the cross, 
He paid it in full. And the Bible says he cast it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. And he declared me righteous, not because I'm a good person, because I'm not. He declared me righteous because of his, here's a good Bible word for you, imputed righteousness. He gave me something that did not belong to me that now is mine. And when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me as a wretched, wicked sinner. He looks at me as a righteous son. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. So our righteousness could not possibly come from ourselves. The Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags in the sight of God. They're worthless in God's sight. But Jesus has made us righteous. Mankind is spiritually ignorant. Verse 11 says, there's none that understandeth. Now, ignorant, some people don't understand what that word means. They think it's a, a put down like dumb or stupid or something like that. Ignorant basically means you you don't know, you don't understand, you don't get it. For me, uh, the few times that I've sat in a restaurant where rugby was on, I love watching rugby, but I am completely ignorant when it comes to the game. I don't know what the rules are. Are there two halves? Are there three quarters? Are there three or four quarters? Three periods? How, how long are these periods that, that last? I see a guy get tackled, he stands back up and keeps on running. How does that work? I don't know. What's the ball called? Is it just called a rugby ball? I, I don't know. I am completely ignorant. Are there positions in rugby? I assume that there would be. What are the positions? I'm not sure because I am ignorant to it. I know that it's a bunch of guys without pads that tackle each other really hard and they run. That's all I know. <laughs> I am ignorant when it comes to rugby. That's not a put down. It doesn't mean I'm a dumb person or uh, I'm not smart or I can't do anything for myself. It means that I don't understand. When it comes to spiritual things, mankind is ignorant. Again, while we know that there's a God, what does God expect of us? How do we make things right with him? Romans chapter 1's already told us, we saw that, that God has made himself known unto all people so that they're without excuse. Okay, there's a God. Yes, there's a God. What does he want from me? How do I make things right with him? How do I fix this broken relationship that we have? I don't know the answer to that. And so God gave us two things. He gave us his word, the Bible, and he gave us his son, Jesus. So the Bible outlines clearly for us where we've gone wrong, what God expects of us. God expects righteousness. I can't do that. I can't live up to that standard. God says, okay, I know you can't. So I've given you my son who can meet that for you on your behalf. And he's given us Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that in times past, God spoke through prophets and circumstances and situations. But in these days, he's spoken unto us by his son. So Jesus helps us to become spiritually wise. God's word, the Bible, helps us to become not spiritually ignorant, but spiritually wise. And so when confronted with spiritual truth, man should, man, just automatically pop two, right? No, man rejects spiritual truth because man deems it foolishness. You, you would think you shared the gospel with somebody, they'd be like, oh, this is what I've been missing. Oh, thanks for sharing. Oh, wow, I've always wondered how to fix all the broken stuff in my life. Thank you for sharing. But the Bible says that they don't do that. The Bible says the natural man, the unsaved man, receive not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. The unsaved man goes, man, that's a bunch of rubbish. That's a bunch of junk. 
That's a book of fairy tales. I can't believe you put your faith. I thought you were smarter than that. Like, wow, it strikes me strange that you call yourself a Christian. I thought you were smarter than that. Hmm, got it. It's foolishness. I see people here all the time. They come to who we call them. They sit in the chair and they're like this and looking around at everybody and I'll say something and they'll go, oh, roll their eyes like that. Okay, I get it. It's foolishness to you. I understand that. That's okay. That's what the Bible says it will be because you're spiritually ignorant. You don't understand how all this works. Now, do I have it all figured out? No, but I'm trying every single day by the help of the Word of God and the Spirit of God to figure this thing out. But I'm not spiritually ignorant. I don't consider myself spiritually wise. But we reject the truth of that because we deem it foolishness. Again, my grandfather, I tried to share the gospel with him and tried to get him to see the value of Jesus. And he's just like, man, I don't need that stuff. He said, don't you worry about me. I'll be just fine. I said, actually, you won't. You're not going to be fine at all. What, that was a statement of spiritual ignorance. And so again, we have to seek spiritual wisdom that comes from the word. Mankind of his own is rebellious. There's none that seeketh after God. Isn't it interesting, have you ever seen those signs on grass that say, keep off the grass? And usually like right beside it, there's like a well-worn path through the grass where people walk. There's still a sign there. And then here's the thing for me. I walk by and I look and I was like, okay, I'm not going to walk on the grass because there's a sign. Obviously, other people are doing it, but I won't because I want to obey the rules or I want to do the right thing. And then you see people just following across the grass and you're just like, well, why would I walk the long way around? Remember, just following across the grass. I'll just follow across the grass with everybody else, right? You see a crosswalk and it's clearly marked, but it's... 20 yards down from where you actually want to cross the street. So what do you do? Just cross the street, right? Are you going to write me a ticket for it? <laughs> no lie, my wife and I were in Korea. We got a ticket at the airport leaving Korea for jaywalking. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And, and so, no lie, we get out of, the, the, uh, we get out of the, the taxi at the airport. We're getting ready to walk across the crosswalk, and there's a red hand. You look in both directions, and there's nothing coming for miles in either direction. And so we just like, man, walk on like that, and it's like, Beep, somebody blows a whistle at us, and some guy walks by with, like, blue lights flashing on his vest, and it's just like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, really? You, you put blue lights on your vest? Like, that's embarrassing. Like, far worse than, like, Paul Blart. So, shame on you if you got that reference. Shame on you. Uh, but, but I walk across, and it's just like, like, oh, you jaywalked. We were in the crosswalk. There wasn't any cars coming. Yeah, but this was red. Okay, it just turned green. Can we go now? No, you can't. Can I see your passport? It's just like, take my passport? It's like, what are you kidding me? So I take her passport, and uh, my wife and I are both there, and some lady comes over, because that guy doesn't speak very good English. The lady comes over, she speaks a little bit better English, and she says, uh, well, sir, I'm going to find you. I'm not going to find her. It's just like, why does she get off? And I, I don't. Like, what is up with that? And so they write me a ticket, and it's like, okay, uh, you have to pay this. Where do I pay it? You have to find a bank inside the airport. I said, can I pay you? No, you can't pay me directly. So I had to go find a bank in the airport to pay for a jaywalking ticket. It's just like, what on earth is this? This is a scam. This is a shakedown. You're trying to make money off of me, like making money off a tourist who's just trying to get on their airplane and go back home. What is this? And so I'm not sure how that affected it. Oh, rebellious. Right. <laughs> rebellious. Got, got sidetracked from it. Got sidetracked from it. Rebellious. Man, I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I'm doing my own thing, right? 
And so mankind is rebellious. Over here across the street, there's a big sign that says, don't let your animals use the bathroom here because there's chemicals on the lawn that will harm your, your dogs. I think it's there just to keep people from having their dogs ruin the grass over there. But, man, you see people every single day right by that sign letting their dogs go to the bathroom. Why? Because they don't care. Rebellious. That's what mankind's heart is automatically. And so God promises, hey, there's none that seeketh after God. God promises that if you seek him, you'll find him. God promises in his word that if you're looking for truth, you'll find it in the person of Jesus Christ. When people come to who we call and they're looking for truth and they're trying to find uh, which way is up, I always want them to hear the gospel. And when Sometimes people say, hey, I need a little bit more time. Hey, I'm still processing through that. We'll give them a copy of a book called Paid in Full. Basically a gospel presentation that they can read through on their own time. And I tell them this, hey, keep coming back. Keep searching for truth because you'll find it. Because the Bible promises if you continue on a quest for truth, you'll find Jesus. God says, hey, you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Just keep looking for truth and you'll find it. But you know, God's truth becomes a threat to our lifestyle, so we reject God. It's not a matter of we can't find truth. Truth isn't available. We don't know what to do. Many times when confronted with truth, we want to reject it because we just want to continue our own thing. Hey, look, if this word is true, i got to change my life. If Jesus Christ is Lord, that means I'm not in charge anymore. If I put my faith in this, all this has to change. And I don't know that I'm ready for that. A person much wiser than me one time said that people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. People reject the Bible because it contradicts them. I don't want to follow Jesus because if I do, I would have to give up my sin. I would have to admit that I have been wrong. And I'm not ready to do that yet. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Uh, I think you've got to figure it out. Chances are you don't. Mankind is naturally wayward. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. <laughs> They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Gone out of the way means to be turned aside. You see, our rebellious nature is manifested in our desire not to simply disobey God, but to create our own path away from God. I just want, I'm not just trying to do what I want today. I'm not just trying to break one of God's commandments. I'm trying to chart my own path. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be held back. And we want to create our own path that leads us away from God. That's what it means to be wayward. So many times even Christians get stuck in this trap back again. Here's the thing. This is, this is who we were before we met Jesus. But sometimes we go back to that old behavior and those old habits and we think to ourselves, Hey, I know what God wants me to do, but I got a, I got a good thing going on over here. I'm going to keep that rolling. Can't do it. So many times we think to ourselves like, oh, I would follow God if I knew where this whole thing was going. Yeah, that's not how following God works. You see, we, we want to know where this thing ends. We want to look at the whole path. We want to look at the, the destination and the journey and then figure out whether or not we want to obey it. God says, yeah, I don't work that way. I'm just going to give you the next step. And the next step might be within the next 24 hours, and you just got to wait for the next step. I want to say this as kindly as I can. 
but I want you to get my heart on this. So I preface that. God really doesn't care how you feel about the path he has for you. Your emotions don't factor into him at all. God doesn't need you to sign off on the plan that he has for your life. He just needs you to walk it. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So what does that mean? Just one step at a time. I don't, I don't know where the, the end is going to be. All I know is where I'm supposed to be today. I'm just taking one step at a time. When we become wayward, it's just like, ah, uh, I don't really like the path this is going. I think I'm going to do my own thing over here. And that's when we begin, begin to be wayward. And Christians can sometimes be wayward. It's the story of the prodigal son, which we'll take a look at next Sunday night. Where, hey, I got a good thing going on here, but I got better things out there. Here's a lie of the devil. The lie of the devil is that God is withholding the good stuff from you. You need to go your own way to get the good stuff. That's a, that could not be farther from the truth. God as a loving father wants to protect you. God wants to preserve your joy. Preserve your life. It's like your kids saying to you like, you're such a terrible dad, I don't want to wear a seatbelt. I just want to be free. You'll be free right out the front of the windshield. <laughs> Take your last five seconds of flight before you meet Jesus. Yeah, great, go for it. My wife gets mad at me sometimes when we uh, take a longer trip. We don't take a lot of road trips here in Hawaii because you can drive 45 minutes and you're done. Uh, but sometimes we take road trips. You know, she'll put her feet up on the dash on the passenger side. She's like, put your feet down. And she's like, I'm not one of your kids. You can't tell me what to do. Hey, watch out with that. Uh, she doesn't, she's not sassy like that, but she's like, oh, babe, if I hit something and that airbag explodes, your shins are going to be on your forehead. Like, no. Absolutely not. Get your feet down. And she's like, oh, I just want to stretch out for a minute. That's fine. It's my job to watch out for you, and I don't want to push you around in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Stop. <laughs> and she's like, okay, fine. And so no lie, no lie. This is, my wife is one of the sweetest, godliest women I know, but she's still rebellious sometimes. No lie, like five minutes later, I see her like put like one foot up on the dash. <laughs> Real slow. It's just like, stop it. What am I trying to do? I'm a hard-nosed guy that doesn't want feet on the dash. No, I'm trying to keep you from winding up paralyzed for the rest of your life. That's not bad. We think that God, God wants me to obey his word, obey his rules. It's such a drag to do that. No, 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 no. You're doing it wrong then. God's trying to preserve your life and preserve your joy. He's giving you a path to walk, walk. It's not being rebellious. Again, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Next we see mankind's not only wayward, mankind is spiritually worthless. Now again, hold up for a second. Some of you are going to be like, oh, this is awful. I'm just here and I'm ignorant. I'm worthless and things like that. Again, you got to define terms. Spiritually speaking, you and I are of no value whatsoever apart from Christ from an eternal perspective. The only way that you and I can be made spiritually alive is in Jesus Christ. You need to be saved to be made alive. The only way that you can remain spiritually fruitful is to abide in Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ is what makes us able and capable to have a lasting impact and meaning in this life. We don't have time to turn there, but you want to have your socks knocked off, study out John 15. 
Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, and you shall bring forth much fruit. And he goes on to say this, because without me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, if you disconnect from me, you're like a branch that's laid out to the side that withers up, dries out, dies, and they're going to come around and gather all those up and throw them in the furnace to be burned. That's of what value you are when you're apart from Christ. But connected to Christ, here's what he says, herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. Oh, man. So you're saying if I stay connected to Jesus, that's where I get the good stuff. That's precisely what I'm saying. But apart from that, we have no value spiritually. Finally, we see this passage that mankind is inherently corrupt. There's none that doeth good. Again, while man can do respectable acts of kindness, all these fall short of the perfect, holy character of God, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So lest we think, okay, I've sinned, but I'm not that bad, (laughs) Paul puts us in check. Not that bad, none righteous, no, not one. None that understandeth, none that seeketh after God, gone out of the way, become unprofitable, none that doeth good. No, not one. You're corrupt to the core. So how do we fix this? As sinful as man can be, we are still loved by a gracious God. I don't want to send you out on a bummer because this message, if we just stopped here and said, hey, let's pray, would have been a total bummer. Like, I'm a wretched, wretched, pathetic human being. It doesn't end there. Here's, here's the crazy thing about us. We value the things that are better, don't we? I want a better car. I want a better job. I want a better house. I want a better salary. I want better kids. I want a better marriage. I want it, whatever. We value better as having more value than things that are lesser. When we go to the grocery store, we buy produce. I don't buy a lot of produce. I don't do uh, fruits and vegetables. I do bananas. And so uh, bananas is a fruit. And so um, thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you have all the broccoli. I wouldn't want to take your, your, that from you. And so um, I made a kale uh, shake a couple of weeks ago, and it was like wet grass. And it's just like, ah. And so um, anyways, like when I look for bananas at the store, like I'm not looking for the ones that are already brown and falling apart. I don't want the ones that are too green because they might not turn yellow in time and I can actually eat them and they're stiff and they're gross. And so I'm looking for the ones that are perfect, right? And you look at them and you're like, ooh, these are good, but they're in a bunch of like eight. And so you pick out like the three that you want. Why only three? Because after two days they turn brown in Hawaii because we get them on a boat from South America. And so like the, there's like this 48-hour window where your bananas are perfect and after that you're just making banana bread till Jesus comes, right? And so I'm looking for the ones that are perfect, and I take those, and I leave the rest of the trash for everybody else, right? When I, when I look for potatoes, you know, you get a 10-pound bag of potatoes at the store, you're looking, like, all over, like, every single one I'm rolling to see if there's spuds on it yet, because I know I'm going to get it home, and it's going to start spudding on me in 48 hours. And so I leave the ones behind that are no good. We automatically think that God would do the same. He's looking for the good ones to pick out, and he leaves the trash. Here's what God does. God says, trash, I'll take all of it. All of it. 
I'll redeem it and make it better than it's ever been before. That's what he does. So we look at a passage like this and we're just like, oh man, I'm a horrible person. No, no, no. The fact that you're a horrible sinner is the primary reason that God is attracted to you because his grace will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's it. It's the good stuff. God says, oh, you're messed up. Oh, you're bruised. Great, I'll take it. Oh, you made a mess of your life. Perfect, I can fix that. Oh, you got some struggles? Ha, I delight in that. Because God even told the Apostle Paul, I'm not interested in your strength. I want your weakness. That's where I can be glorified. That's where I can do the most work. And so despite the fact that mankind is absolutely wretched to the core, God loves us because of his grace, his undeserved, unmerited favor. He says, I love you despite your sinful condition. And the answer for our sinful condition is Jesus. That's it. No other answer. Now, sometimes people don't like this answer, so they try to find a different answer. I'll try to be good. I'll try to find a religious system to fit in. We're going to check all these boxes, and then when I die, maybe, hopefully, I'll go to heaven. If you put your faith in a religious system to get you to heaven, you will miss it by 10 million miles. You're not going to make it. The only hope for our situation is Jesus. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? If not, today's your opportunity. I don't know what you're waiting for, but whatever you're waiting for is just a, a clock ticking until you pay for your own sin debt before a holy God. It's not worth it. Put your faith in Jesus today. And here's the beauty of the wretchedness of our corrupt character is when we are in Christ, we're a new creature and the old man nature is put to death. Man, here's the crazy thing. I'm not as spiritually wise as I want to be yet, but I'm not spiritually ignorant any longer. Do I struggle with wanting to do my own thing from time to time? I do, but praise God, I'm not as rebellious as I used to be. Do I struggle with wanting to chart my own path sometimes and do my own things? I do until I remember that the path that God has for me is his best and I want to stay there. I'm not trying to do that anymore. Am I righteous in myself? No way, no how. But I've received the righteousness of Jesus Christ added to my account. And my father, when he looks at me, he says, son, I see you as righteous. But if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, today's your opportunity for those of us that have been saved, that are born again. It's time to walk in the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.